the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Guerrilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Hey folks, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is officially our out of lockdown episode, I guess you could say. Fully out of lockdown at level one, aren't we, Bill? Oh, We're pretty yeah. much, this is this as is of, back to normal. As of last night, yeah. Yeah. So um, thanks everybody for uh, for joining us on the show. We're at episode 492 and our guest today is Bill Bennett. Awesome to have you back in the studio, Bill. Hi, Paul. Good to be here. Nice to be out and about again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're 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 really there at uh, at level one. Very encouraging, and like also a big thank you to our show partners, uh, Sumo Logic, Vodafone New Zealand, uh, Spark New Zealand, Vocus, HP, Samsung, and of course. Gorilla Technology, our founding sponsor. So uh, yeah, great, great to have, uh, great to have those partners, and look, really appreciate their support of the New Zealand Tech Podcast, uh, and of course of the uh, the entire um, you know tech ecosystem in New Zealand. Now, Bill, loads to talk about, but the headline that really caught my attention, which I thought was. Um, yeah, fascinating to, to see is Slack partnering up with Amazon to take on Microsoft Teams because, you know, Slack have, you know, I guess uh, as long as Microsoft Teams has been around and even before Microsoft Teams launched, Slack were sort of saying, you know, well, welcome, you know, they welcomed them with a big, uh, you know, advert in the New York Times, but along the way they've been saying Microsoft is not a is not a competitor. Um, but now we've got this news that, that Slack uh, are partnering up with uh, Amazon who have their own... Uh, video platform. You, 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 I mean, maybe the other option would have been Zoom. It was mm-hmm. kind of, you know, you, the, the, either of those could have been uh, could have been potential partnerships, well, but Zoom's the name quite, of the quite, hour, isn't it? quite different. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I can imagine a partnership with Amazon. There was maybe maybe a bit more uh, in terms of what both companies would uh, would ultimately get. Out of uh, out of such such a partnership, certainly for um, Amazon with you know Amazon Chime, which is just not a you know a name that you hear uh, too often, and and it's the same with their uh, you know competitors to yeah you know, their whole sort of you know c- compete with um, G Suite and with Microsoft 365, which you know they do to a degree have uh, you know products in, in that place in terms of email, of course you know Chime with the uh, video conferencing video you know calling capability uh, and, and even you know a compete with uh, you know Microsoft Word online and, um, you know, and and Google Docs and so on so um, yeah this will be very interesting to actually see how how it plays out it's hard to know what that partnership looks like behind the scenes well yeah I mean it's, it's interesting you said that um, the term um, slack started out saying they weren't going to be competing with teams but um, that's not how Microsoft saw it I think Microsoft positioned themselves very much as being a competitor to teams from you know, sorry teams being a competitor to slack from yes, the outset yes. I think that was always their game and and and, um, and to zoom and, and I mean I guess in, in, in both of those areas they're competing with very dominant players yeah. but they're, they're following that playbook I think that Microsoft have, have used 
you know, many times to varying degrees where they will throw a lot of money and a lot of resource at trying to dominate a space. Now, I mean, this is very familiar to me because in my earlier years in the in the technology world and the in the early nineties, which is you know where really my career uh, you know kicked off, there was a big player, Novell, who really dominated in the networking uh, space, and 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 they were the default go to if you wanted to network together. You know, a, a bunch of uh, computers being PCs or Macs or a mix, and you were really serious. Uh, but, you know, yeah, I mean, certainly within New Zealand sort of small to medium businesses, Novell Netware was, uh, you know, was the go-to. But it's Microsoft… It's for a long time, isn't it? No, no, it just, you know, slow, slowly, you know, yeah. slowly, um, you know, disappear. Well, but Microsoft threw everything at, at competing, dropping their prices and so on. And that's sort of what we see with teams, right? And there's almost a little bit of the old playbook of um, uh, the not, you know, not probably down the antitrust, um, you know, track that, that that they got to with you know browser bundling with uh, with Windows, but effectively Teams is is free. Uh, and men and you know for many customers well, because shops, yeah is, because you yeah. know so many yeah. and and look there aren't too many businesses of scale that don't pay for Microsoft Office in yeah. some form and of course now they've they've made it so compelling that the way to buy Office is part of Microsoft what was Microsoft Office 365 and, you know, is, is flipping over to just Microsoft 365 branding. And, and you know, Teams just goes out as that sort of default yeah. option. In fact, they were, to a degree, sort of, um, what's a rude way to say it? Shoving it down people's throats and that you would install 365 and there's Teams popping up on everybody's that's, that's, screens, right? Microsoft's playbook. The other, thing, <laughs> the other thing that Microsoft historically has done, yeah. um, I mean, we put aside the whole Azure side of the business for a moment because that, that's in a different category and that, of course, is just doing extraordinarily well. But if we put that aside, Microsoft has had this culture and I know because Back when you were doing the the netware the netware experience, I was um, working for a, a Microsoft customer magazine in Australia called Communicate, and I remember dealing with their marketing department. And what I remember about Microsoft at that time is exactly what you see now: is that the company has this ability to sort of la- have a laser focus on one area of its business, one product line, and just it might spend three months, it might spend four, six months. But it will just laser focus in that particular area for that wee amount of time. But it's enough time for all of Microsoft to have got the message and all their customers to have got the message and for it to work. And, and it's always had this ability to zoom in and oh, zoom. It's always had this ability to have this laser focus on a, yeah, on a, particular, yeah. a particular part of its business and do that very well. The other interesting thing about this is um, some time ago now, Stack had a similar deal going with IBM. 
Now, back in the 90s, when again, we go back to the 90s and the netwear days. Yes, yeah. Then IBM was a name to conjure with. It was the it was the company to be a partner with. That's you, right. That's right. And yeah. I mean, Microsoft were partnered with them before they before they released, you know, Win, Win, Windows NT. It was it was OS2 was a- their partnership with absolutely. IBM, wasn't it? Yeah. And 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 the, and the, and the thing was that IBM was that, and, and, if you, and if you wanted to get into that enterprise space, yep. you know, you had to have some kind of relationship with IBM. Um, Slack still has a relationship with IBM, but the relationship that matters now is Amazon, and the Amazon, Microsoft, um, AWS, um, Azure battle is the battle of our era. Really, that's the that's the that's the war that's in the background. It's the one we don't hear about day to day, but that's the one that really matters. It's about getting people onto your side for either one of those two platforms, and and hence why Microsoft are, are you know are pushing so hard in so many different areas. Hence, hence why uh, they're investing yeah. in having a New Zealand uh, data centre. Yeah, you know, they're trying to do these things ahead of a- a- Amazon Web Services yeah. so that they. Uh, you know, can 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 steal a bit of a march, and but it's, it's proven hard work. But they do it pretty well. Well, here's the thing: about Microsoft has always known how to compete, but in the last, perhaps the last decade, it's had to learn how to compete when you're coming from behind. And it's good at it. It's it's good. It knows how to play that game, mm-hmm. and it's doing a good job of it. So, so here's the thing: right, the um, Slack and Amazon is a is a very powerful combination, but it's it just doesn't have the killer power that Microsoft could have. I mean, remember, Microsoft is, the last time I looked, I haven't looked in the last two or three days, but two or three days ago, I did look, and Microsoft was the world's biggest company again. So, um, you know, Microsoft knows what it's doing, and to compete with Microsoft, you've got to form a first-rate team. And I would say that, you know, Slack has found the right partner here. Yeah. Oh, look, the the, um, the the flow on here is, I think, good for everybody's customers. Yeah. And we look, you know, a year or two out, it will be quite a different landscape in terms of market shares because of the pace at which Microsoft is now on in terms of their growth. Yeah. And if... Slack weren't making these sort of partnerships and and manoeuvres, you know, it'd be a whole lot harder on them. So, oh, I think if it wasn't making these manoeuvres, Slack would be starting to disappear from the scene. So, it's for Slack. Slack's fighting for its life. Uh, Microsoft's fighting for a bit more territory. Zoom seem to be doing well. I think they've you know they've, they've talked about you know some yeah. incredible numbers. But again, when you when you, you know, step back and look at a longer term picture. It's you. You could even, to a to a degree, compare where G Suite is compared to the Microsoft offering in terms of uh, three six five. In that, still, so many businesses, whether it's a demand from staff or there's a yeah, whatever the re- the reasons are. They need some Microsoft Office, yeah. right? And if you need that, you might as well just have that rather than double paying and paying for a – and it's obviously not the case for every business, but a lot make that decision of, well, why have G Suite 
and then a stack of Microsoft on top. If we're oh. paying for Microsoft, let's just wrap it all up in Microsoft. Certainly as Microsoft gets there in terms of, and they're doing pretty well now to be fair, gets there in terms of delivering a really good, strong, capable offering. Look, there's there was the culture for a while of you know best of breed. You would have you would mix and match things across the the different product lines, and go for the best of breed products. I've always found that you get the real advantages from the from the things the integration between things. So if you can stay in the Microsoft world and stay with that Microsoft integration, or if you can stay in the Google world and stay with the Google integration all the way through. That's actually better than jumping between them. Um, and, you know, it grates with people that, you know, you're in walled gardens or, or proprietary systems and so on. There's a lot of people that, that rail against that and, and it grates with them. But really, that's not the important battle anymore. The important battle is, is, is the integration and is being, you know, basically living with one interface, one staying in one world. It's so much easier. There is a school of thought that is still very anti yeah, particular companies, Microsoft probably being being the one that people love to hate more more than anything. What do you think about that approach? Anything but Mike the anything but Microsoft approach. I don't I don't probably see it as much now no. as where we were maybe five years ago because their offerings are strong because they've embraced open source and I think that has started to started to sink in to a degree but there is still a, a segment and I'm sure it will be there amongst our listeners who just don't trust Microsoft Look, and, and would do anything they can to work with yeah. any other product other than a Microsoft product. I, I, and I get that. I can get that right. I can see why people might think that. Um, I mean, Microsoft is, you know, is is a rapacious multinational when it comes to, I mean, they're a money-making machine. You know, but so is everyone else. I mean, all, the, all your options are as well. So... It, the, there's not really I mean if you've got a problem with Microsoft it's something that happened 20 years ago um, it's probably, time to get over it is it yeah yeah it's time to get <laughs> over it I mean the thing is is they're all they all have their faults I mean quite frankly the Microsofts and the Googles of this world um, you know there are worse things out there I mean you know if you're if you happen to have a social media company which aligns with a certain political trend you know that's that's probably worse so well um, that that brings us to a topic so not actually in our agenda but we were uh, dis discussing it before we uh, started and what we saw was an announcement come through late last week from zero just sharing some of their some of their data and we, we talk a lot about social media and the power that the social media platforms have, how they can manipulate or not manipulate what we see, whether they should or shouldn't be allowing free speech or whether they should be blocking certain types of content that is just untrue to whatever uh, degree, racist and so on. Now, the announcement from Zero was just them looking at what the data that they collect across working with yeah. Yeah, um, a very large percentage of New Zealand businesses. I think they've got 
yeah, probably two thirds to seventy percent of the market when it comes to accounting software in New Zealand. And we're in this position that we weren't in certainly fifteen years ago, where one company sees all this live data about New Zealand's businesses because so yeah. many of us use, use zero. And look for the for the for the remainder. Most of those will be with the likes of MYOB and other companies, and more and more, those same companies have they have that live data because it sits in their cloud. So it was just interesting looking for me. I mean, first of all, it was it was a it was a shock to see some yeah vir- virtually live data saying small business billings. I'll just see if I've got it here. Uh, I'm just seeing. Okay, so we have data around uh, job losses in the business sector, but the big one was that Zero were able to report revenue for New Zealand small businesses fell on average 34% in April compared to April 2019, which is mm. which is huge, shocking, concerning around you know what what that you know could mean in terms of job losses and and closure of business. But the bit that it triggered for me is, hey, they've got they've got all this data now. I, I'm reasonably relaxed around what they will and won't do with that data. But it is a it is a total change from from where we used to be with software, where our data could only be seen by us and and, own, and, yeah. and nobody else could, well, could here's see the it. Thing, right? It's one thing to say New Zealand small businesses have dropped thirty four percent in the in the month with the pandemic going on that's actually useful information and it's pretty safe to share and it's nicely aggregated right but now how would you feel paul if if um say there was a small problem with gorilla and you were in the news and zero said gorilla technologies dropped 40 percent during that month you know i mean they're they're not doing that of course no Uh, and 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 they couldn't to that level but there's a point yeah in between for anyone that has a whole lot of data and I mean, we, we've seen this and reported about it on the New Zealand Tech podcast before. One of them was Fitbit, yeah. right, where Fitbit was publishing some some data around where people were going, and suddenly, what, yeah, where people were exercising, whatever it was, there was a map, and suddenly they, you know, revealed some, some highly confidential like in, information in the as well. That's right. Yeah. So they revealed basically confidential military yeah. bases and, and well, maybe put lives at risk. And, and there's a problem with aggregating data because for, if, if, for example, I mean, this is just a hypothetical example, but New Zealand is is a small country and when you get down to small numbers, that means that, you know, things start to become identifiable. So if, for example, zero is to break out numbers and I'm just making this, this is just off the top of my head and it could be nonsense, but ice cream parlours in Westland there might only be one ice cream parlor in Westland, right? So if it tells you what that's doing, if you, if, you know, if you're getting breakouts of data, that's uh, it doesn't matter. It's aggregated. Everyone knows that there's one ice cream partner in part, sorry, parlor in Westland. So they have to be really careful how they do that. That you can't draw those inferences. Yeah, and, and fortunately, and I mean, we haven't we haven't seen any issues yeah. down that track. But it it does trigger those sort of thinkings around. There, there needs to be more and more wisdom around these things. Well, We've seen, you know, government who also have access to, I mean, but, probably more so incredible amounts of data, and government departments on numerous occasions have 
yeah, allowed data to be made well, accessible that certainly shouldn't be. Or the other, I mean, and, and, and I'm not accusing Zero of doing this, but right, but there must be at some point a temptation for a huge customer to come to Zero and say, we'll give you, you know, X million dollars if you tell us what our competitor's doing, you've got their data. Well, it's not going to happen. It's just not, not, not it's, of that. Not, but there's, there's, they have to make sure they, they, they have to earn that trust, which they've done so today, and they're oh, not yeah. breaking it now, which is good. But it, it means there's a responsibility on them that I don't think the people working for Zero signed up for when they worked when they decided to, they were going to work for a tech company. They didn't think they'd have to deal with these issues in just the same way that the people that designed and made Facebook didn't realise they were going to be thrust into the centre of political debates. I mean, for heaven's sake, Facebook was designed as a thing to spot hot girls in a university. You know, and I don't think they ever thought that it was going to be used um, to, con- you know, for um, for nation states to commit um, misinformation campaigns during an election in another country. I don't think anyone had no. that in their heads. More, more of a concern for me, I'm, I, yeah, you know, we've had, obviously had Rod Drury on the show you know, numerous times and uh, so on uh, are those firms that are a little bit more at the fringes you know a new firm that starts up and offers you a, a VPN to keep your data private <laughs> a provi- you know provider of a um, you know encrypted password you know storage application and you don't necessarily know you know who wow. they are you don't know whether they're whether when they tell you that your data is encrypted end to end and they can't get it at whether that's this true, happened a right? couple of days ago with the Brave browser. Oh yes, the Brave browser, to, which makes this big song and dance about your privacy and so on. Turns out that they were selling. Oh, I, th- I think what were they doing? They were they were doing something, weren't I th- they? Which- I think it was uh, they were inserting into the web pages uh, that you visit affiliate affiliate links so they were they were they they must have realized their business model wasn't working but any link that you click if there was a way in which they could make a cut on you're buying something from amazon you're buying something from you know some sort of you know through some sort of e-commerce channel uh, they would change that link to yeah. actually give give them a cut. Now, in most cases, in terms of the impact on the purchaser, there's not necessarily not necessarily a huge impact, but it's no. way beyond what you know what you would expect it's from a trust perspective. Selling, with and didn't line up with their no. brand at all. Like that's quite normal. You go to a uh, yeah a tech news site. And a lot of them will now do that. If there's a link to go and buy a product from somewhere, they're going to make a, well, a, a cut. But there, but there is a disclosure, and usually there's a separation between the, the you know, the journalism, yeah. and and how that happens. So it's just you know, well, well, to be yeah. fair to Brave, Brave has fronted up and said, well, you know, we did we did something wrong. We're not going to do this anymore. And and I think that's a plausible and. They've owned it. They've owned the. They've owned the error. Yeah. But the thing is, it just shows you just how easy it is to fall into those traps where you do that, and you, you, you know, you can destroy your brand as an organisation by doing so. So, and and hence why, yeah, you know, a zero that's a big successful yeah. business, you know, are very unlikely to you know ever go anywhere to, you know close to the margins on something like this because it's it's now what. 
roughly a $10 billion yeah. uh, business, you know, like, yeah, like last but, time yeah. I looked. Um, 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 we still know that, you know, if they get out of order, we just give Rod a hard time. Yeah. And, <laughs> um, uh, and we can do that. But the thing is, is that you, there is, there's, there's, there's a whole minefield of, of, you know, facing tech companies, which there wasn't. 10, 15 years ago. I mean, 10, 15 years ago, the worst thing that could happen in the tech sector was Microsoft become a monopoly with, in parts of it, with browsers, I think, was what everyone was worried about. That's nothing compared with uh, the issues we face today. Yeah, and Microsoft certainly, are a, it's, a, yeah, it's a very different world for, for them now. Now, Another story that I wanted to uh, pick up on, and this is, you know, we've, we've, we've talked about online entertainment, streaming content for, you know, so many years since the, the early days of this podcast when you couldn't get much streaming content at all yeah. in New Zealand. And it was, well, you know, is there a sort of middle ground between, you know, downright down, you know, just illegal downloads of content and paying for subscriptions with overseas services and using some sort of a, a proxy or a VPN to, to get Netflix in New Zealand. Now, we're, we're well past that, uh, but a headline that caught my attention was that Amazon's Prime video service are going to start giving away uh, some English Premier League games, so basically free streaming. Now, yeah. it's not an across the board, but it just caught my attention, and it's one of one of my concerns about the impact on us having uh, a local entertainment, you know, local entertainment yeah. businesses like Sky, like Spark Sport yeah. here in New Zealand, where a player as big as Amazon could come in, buy up varying rights, and if they wished, they could say, look, come on board, it's going to be a dollar a month or it's going to be yeah. free. And of course, with a player of that sort of scale, that sort of dominance, I mean, the word would get out, the low price, I mean, I mean, virtually any approach that they take if they come into this market seriously um, is likely to have that Netflix-style effect. And, you know, we saw that with yeah. Netflix. I don't know the exact numbers, but I remember last time we, we checked, uh, Netflix was in yeah, five to ten times as many homes as the next bit of competition yeah. in terms of light, light box and, and, and neon. And I don't know, I'm just... I'm well. It, it, let I'm, me, let I'm me mildly concerned. Right. First thing is, first thing is, right? Is the British rights for the uh, English Premier League are a bit complicated anyway. There's three different, and, and they're a bit expensive. Yeah, and they're a bit expensive, <laughs> right? Um, and I think Sky has some. I think I think it's Sky, BBC, and Amazon is, but it's certainly three. There's certainly three players, and you have to buy all three if you want to watch an entire season. Well, you kind of have to do that a bit here with um, soccer, if you're a soccer fan in New Zealand, because Spark has the Premier League, but Sky has the other football competitions that the Premier League clubs play in, like the FA Cup and the European Championship and so on. So um, you have to do that here. Um, I'm not concerned for that at the moment because it's happening it's happening on the other side of the world but you're quite right that one day it could happen and in fact about two years ago i was at a function um here when we were discussing media um and there was talk at that time that amazon were about to buy the rights to the english premier league 
And I think at that time, the talk was that they, they had negotiated the global rights for the game. And I guess if that was to happen, the price here would be you have to be a prime member. Um, that's, you know, it's what, $100 a year or something. Um, I guess that would have been the, um, the, the arrangement for New Zealand. Um, I kind of don't... I, I, I'm not comfortable with global players taking over because the trouble is, is if an organisation like Amazon or Google or Microsoft or Apple... Um, was to get the rights if they were to pluck the cherries out of the sporting pie right that say the say in new zealand that would mean uh rugby cricket league and soccer possibly possibly things like yacht racing as well if they were to pluck those cherries out of the pie it actually makes it really really hard for all the other sporting codes so the ones like um netball which have a huge following in new zealand but don't really have a big following in most of the world, would yeah. struggle. Those sports would really struggle, and they'd be left behind. They'd all be Cinderellas. Um, and Sky would find it really hard to sell a subscription if it only had, you know, the next 17 sports after the big five have gone. So I kind of worry about it from that point of view. Yeah. Well, let's let's see how it progresses. Now, I see that uh, Brendan uh, McCullum has uh, been added to the uh, commentary team for uh, Spark Sports um, cricket coverage, yeah. which is... Uh, well, that's another see, That's another case. You see, if you want to watch all the cricket, you have to have Spark and um, Sky Sports. I, I, but, you know, I'm comfortable with that. I mean, uh, Sky Now and Spark Sport together, the two subscriptions, I can't remember what they cost. I think it's about $80 a month, but that's still cheaper than it used to be to have the old Sky Sport on satellite service. And it's actually it's actually better i prefer it this way mm. um i'm comfortable with it I th- and i think you know 80 bucks a month well that's a um it's a night at the pub isn't it <laughs> it's um yeah <laughs> it's certainly a trip to a trip to the movies for the family is going to cost you more than 80 dollars yeah by the time you've eaten some popcorn so it's not a bad price i mean it's the the problem is it does let people out who who don't have that money and there is a digital divide there. oh yeah 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 um and that's and you know i'd like to see some way around that but well part of that becomes the the, the pub option right yeah. so it's yeah. uh, uh you pay for the alcohol or you pay for the uh yeah yeah um there's yeah there's, and of course people find other ways around it now on to other things because we've got a, we've got quite a few things we were hoping to oh, get yeah. through. We're uh, we're <laughs> running short on short on time. Bill, you had shared online through your blog at BillBennett.co.nz some thoughts around this um, plan coming out of uh, the UK to form an alliance of. Uh, democratic nations, uh, particularly focused on on those involved in the Five Eyes, although New Zealand wasn't uh, wasn't mentioned, to create what you referred to as uh, a five G alternative to Huawei. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just run us through what what this is and whether you think this can be pulled off, because there are. You know, Huawei has competitors already, yeah. And how you how you might see this this playing out is is it effectively the the uh, building of another 
you know, a, basically a direct competitor to Huawei in the in the network space. I think that's exactly what the plan is. Because that's not an easy thing to do. I mean, this has taken, it, I mean, decades really for well, Huawei to get to the get to where they are in terms of building networks, equipment, and so short on. Time though, it's I mean, it, it's, it's moved quite quickly yeah, within within twenty y- years, you know, so, New yeah. Zealand and and, yeah. and most markets. But I mean, they spent quite a bit of time. Uh, building up their expertise and, yeah. and profitability in China. Well, the company's only 20-something years old, so it's not been around that long. Well, look, here, this, is, this is the issue, right, is that historically, if you go back um, you know, to the netware days, the 90s yes, again, yes, right, yeah. there were national champions. Um, so Alcatel would have been the French national champion yes. in the networking space. And um, there was Northern Telecom, remember them? I think they were Canadian. Yep, so, Nortel, There were. Yep, there were yep. these companies which were national champions in yes. those spaces. Yeah. That's right, and um, um, and over the years they've merged and become. We're down to like four or five players. Really, the players in the market are Huawei from China, um, Nokia, which is nominally from Finland, but really mm. is mm. just sort of pan European American business. And that, that, that's pulled together what about three different players now into, yeah. into Nokia. What are they? Nokia Siemens Networks. That's right, and there was something and, else as uh, well. And then there's that. But anyway, and then the other one. The other player is um, Alcatel, um, which oh, sorry, Alcatel is Nokia now. Sorry, yeah. Um, the other, no, the other one is um, um, Ericsson, who's probably probably wouldn't thank me for saying so, but at the moment they would appear to be third. And they, Ericsson does not have a, a major partner in New Zealand at the moment. And then there's Samsung as well, who, well, are, Samsung, who are also yeah, sort of Samsung building up this expertise, right? Yes, but as Samsung a, as a created expertise. Purely as a counter to Huawei, that was that was the South Korean champion, you know, if if you like. So um, now the thing is, is Huawei is definitely number one in terms of size. It's probably, I mean, it tends to be the the cheapest to buy as well, and it's probably most people would regard it as number one in terms of the technology. I mean. To the point that they're a, they're a bit ahead of everyone else, which which is incredible to think of of how that's yeah. that's moved from a, a you know I guess a a player that was trying to copy and emulate everybody else to where they've got into this this you know very very strong yeah. uh, position in many regards, but of course. Yeah, we we look at the the arrest in, in Canada of the yeah. CFO, and we, we 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 look at all the other sort of things going on, well, whether a, they're politically a, driven or or, or, yeah. or whether they're they you know genuinely uh, you know driven by by security concerns, which is a you know a huge debate, and I and I you know we, we I think you mentioned in your article we we still don't really have the smoking gun no, that gives a you know a clear picture that says actually. You know, the, the, well, these concerns are, uh, are are very clear and very well proven. The, the the espionage story is the headline story, and that's the one that people most people have heard that, and most people understand that and understand why that's important and why why one may want to act against Huawei because of that. But the but there's a second story which we're not told so often, which is that there's also a fear in the West. Not so much of espionage, but of not owning a strategic technology, which is uh, which is controlled by a comp- company in a nation which 
if not hostile now, potentially could be hostile in the future. I mean, you wouldn't want... I mean, should the tensions between China and, say, America uh, ratchet up, and they're already, uh, you know, quite intense, should that ratchet up, um, we may find that our networks can't be repaired or we can't be updated or they might stop working for some reason. And, you know, the, your call to s- s- Huawei support isn't answered because they're in Beijing behind, you know, some kind of military fireball or something. So there's all kinds of issues about can we rely on having a partner uh, looking after our strategic networks that's in a, in a potentially hostile country now the question, those questions are not they're not questions for tech people like us to answer that's that's for you know that's another person's problem but those are the issues which are behind this now the problem with the british plan to form an alliance um, against huawei is, is is three things really one is is it ratchets it up any tension that exists is going to be more so if you've got a if you're saying well actually we're now you know more or less on a war footing over well, it's putting petrol on on, yeah. the, on the on the fire and you know in, increasing the level of conflict of and and mistrust. Yeah, and it's it's only gonna it's only gonna it's only gonna make things worse in that regard. But the other thing is is you have to pick a champion, and your champion choices for those Western allies at the moment are Nokia and Ericsson. Now the problem it, the problem I see is that. The whole reason why telecommunications has advanced at a cracking pace for the last 20 years is because there's solid competition between real competitors duking it out to make great equipment. Agreed. And if you don't need to compete, you know, you're going to get those government contracts. You're going to, you, you, your money's going to come through for you and your shareholders, whether you do a good job or not. You're going to be right back at square one, and there's no need for you to innovate. There's no need for you to do any of those things. If the West were to say, "Well, we'll have you know this group of companies, which is um, Nokia and Ericsson, maybe Samsung. There are a couple of other players as well who are who, who are playing parts of that space." If you say we're going to put some money into these and we're going to let them compete and so on, well, that's that's a better model. But I'm still not convinced that um, I'm still not convinced that political decision makers should be choosing which. Very hard to equipment. get it to come out yeah. in a in a manner that works well for everyone. Yeah. That said, we also don't want to be in the position where where we're we're stuck, where we're, we're, we're stuck. <laughs> and it's already challenging as it is today. And of course. The, the talk is that the yeah, that ties in with this is that the UK, even though they'd made a decision, they said there can be some Huawei within their 5G networks, are uh, potentially actually going to say, no, you've got to get rid of that. Yeah, and there's all kinds of issues in the UK. I mean, it's, it's the Tory party backbenchers revolting over the issue. Um, there's a huge amount of pressure on, on the UK from the Americans if they want a trade deal. As they pull out of Europe, you know, we, we need to start a political podcast. Yeah, Bill. Exactly. There's, there's so many discussions well, and, and, all and they're not different really, areas. That, that that's, that's kind of beyond the scope <laughs> of, of our discussion. But the, but what it tells you is is that is that this area of um, technology has been taken out of the technology um, zone, if you like, and thrust into the political zone. And New Zealand, you know, we're a small country. Um, if that goes ahead. 
we're not going to have a lot of choice about how we how we deal with that. Um, we're going to be, you know, one way or another, we're going to have to be in, choose one of those two camps to be in. Yeah. And um, and that means we're not necessarily going to get the best telecommunications. We're going to get the ones that it's the politically expedient um, decision. So, yeah, it's not a place we want to be, but we're there. Yeah, yeah. Now, there was a, a feel-good story that I meant to cover on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. We talked about it before we started, but I'm sort of high 90% Uh, sure that we didn't end up discussing it on the podcast so I wanted to include it and this one was uh, was shared on uh, LinkedIn here and is to do with a phone that was lost at uh, Carry Carry Beach it was um, shared by um, Greg Ward and uh, I'll, I'll read out his post. It's fair to say my iPhone 8 has passed the test for water resistance. The near new device was lost just metres from the waves at Carry Carry Beach. It was eventually found by a couple walking out on the sand. They spotted the smartphone lying in shallow water more than 14 months after it was dropped at the same spot. Uh, weeks later, when they tried to charge it, my contact details appeared on the screen. I connected my iPhone last week. The device for now works perfectly, despite being submerged by daily high tides. It was at the beach for more than 420 days. The last call I made was 31st of December 2018. Uh, I'm sure Apple would be pretty pleased uh, with, with a story like that. And look, yeah, this is another um, thing that's tied to uh, you know the innovation from a technology uh, standpoint. These nano coatings that have have become uh, the norm on so many smartphones today. The iPhone eight was was the first iPhone to actually you know have a a, a level of that. But yeah, to and uh, you know, I think they're rated for what is it? You know, maybe half an half an hour, you know, underwater. Obviously, this is is not uh, you know, it's not deep water. It hasn't been way out in the ocean. Looked as though I hadn't really. Well, I don't uh, know. You know, time mo- comes much. in. It could be coming. You know. Oh yeah, maybe. But um, yeah, still uh, yeah, a, a pretty pleasing story to uh, to hear. And Bill, when we were chatting before the show. You said, well, the the, the um, you know, the story here isn't isn't just about it being waterproof. It's um, that the phone came up once it was charged with the owner's details, yes. which is something that I guess a lot of us may not realise that our phones are actually able to uh, able to be set up like that and and able to uh, to do that that's, when they're lost. Well, that's 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 actually right. I mean, I was I was thinking, well, this is a good story. This is a great story, and it's a good it's a good story for Apple. But my word, you know, to think that your phone can be go missing for eighteen months. Um, under those conditions, and that someone can still find you, you know, it's that's quite remarkable. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it just tell it just goes to tell you how how good that technology is for doing that. Very very encouraging. All right, now we will uh, we'll squeeze in a couple uh, a couple more things before we uh, before we finish up. Uh, there was a an announcement from. Oh, there was the quarterly report that came through from uh, Crown Infrastructure Bill, and you also wrote wrote something up uh, around uh, their report. And of course, yeah, the the news from their front on the move to ultra fast broadband, and of course, they're also involved in the the rural broadband initiative. 
the news tends to be pretty good on that front. What were the what was sort of the the highlight for well, the uh, for you? This is this is at the end of March, so this is just as we were going into lockdown. They were starting to you know, prepare for it. Um, I've got the numbers here: nine hundred and sixty-six thousand seven hundred and seventy-three homes were connected. It's a very precise number, isn't it? Um, to the UFB network. Well, that's thick end of a meal. We're getting we're closing in on a million. I should imagine. Uh, some 17,000 were added in the quarter so at that rate we'll probably hit the million number by, by Christmas mm. this year which is a million people on, on fibre um, at the end of March it was 58% uptake on the fibre network which um, and that's that's connections, isn't it? So yeah, it could people, be a yeah, it could be a whole get it, who yeah, it. a whole household. That, you know, yeah, yeah. But remember, remember that some of those households would only have been connected in recent times. So that means that you know potentially, I, I can see that that looks like the uptake levels probably going to top out at better than sixty six percent, but better than two thirds. But probably, uh, unless something else happens, not a lot better than two-thirds, except that something else did happen in the last couple of months, and you know, a lot more people are working from home, which, um, and by all, and I, I spoke to a number of the um, ISPs who had a huge backlog of new orders. Um, and, um, I mean, earlier today I spoke to the CEO of Farmside, which is the yes. rural ISP, which yeah. is actually part of Vodafone now. And um, Farmside said that their their orders, um, their their you know the number of new orders, ran at three hundred percent of normal level in recent months, and they've now hit fifteen thousand, which isn't very big when you compare it with the Vodafones and Sparks and so on. But it's still quite a a, a large number in terms of rural New Zealand. Um, so the uptake of all forms of broadband is is actually is way ahead of what people thought when when these things were being bought but then of course you know things have changed a lot in the last 12 years um well yeah yeah certainly the working from home thing if i look at yeah for my team at gorilla technology dealing with yeah hundreds of people who yeah in the past you would be talking to them they would be based out of an office we yeah. had control of that infrastructure suddenly we're dealing with people we have no uh, you know, really, you know, very, very little impact on the on their infrastructure. Suddenly, but we are suddenly able to have more because we're getting the feedback. Oh, this isn't working too well, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so, where there's the fixed wireless broadband that yeah. that uh, you know a percentage of the population has been using, and that and that's been growing because it's it's certainly more uh, more profitable. It's quicker to get up and up and running in a lot of cases. That was starting to hit some of its some of its limits, right? Yeah. The the idea of having uh, uncapped, not really practical, it's you know, still has, in, yeah, in, in that wireless. space, you to, right? You, you have to really carefully manage the traffic on fixed wireless because it's just shared bandwidth. That's it. And um, and the telcos had done a really good job of that up until well, actually, there's two there's two types of fixed wireless in New Zealand. Right. In fact, it's three types, but there's two types that um, you're most you counter most often. The first type is what, for the want of a better term, is urban fixed wireless, and that is basically when you're within sight of a tower, um, and so you you could have urban style fixed wireless and be in the WAPs, but you but it's when you're inside of a tower, that's pretty good. That runs pretty fast. The speeds are good. The reliability is good. 
and you know most of the time that's excellent but of course during the lockdown they were running up against the um the caps were just people just because the caps were open and people could download as much data as they want the towers were maxing out um at some of the time um the second tier is when you're on a RBI tower, but you're you're out of sight of the tower. You're a bit further away. This is the rural broadband scenario. Yeah, the more rural yeah. RBI. Yeah. Yeah. This is the second level of RBI, and that's not so good because um, the speeds aren't as high. And it's a bit like the equivalent. It's the it's the wireless equivalent of being the you know more than two kilometres from an exchange where your VDSL starts speeds start to drop off and so on same same sort of thing really um and that's not so good but that's still you know it's still reasonably okay and then of course there's the um the wisps who the guys who run sort of towers wi- wi- and poles wi- wi-fi distribution yeah to, they to run out valleys and things yeah, properties. Into the wops and um and most of those customers are reasonably satisfied so that's the other thing is that with the exception of the people on the more rural rbi most of the customers are reporting, you know, they had a really, you know, reasonably good experience. Um, and um, the RBI, I mean, I think it's this week that the RBI, the 100th RBI tower will go up. So that's been, you know, quite something too. And then there's the Rural Connectivity Group, which is filling in the gaps again. So by the end of 2022, we'll have 85% of the population on um, on fibre, and probably another with, with, with access to it yeah with access to fiber yeah, yeah. sorry yeah. not actually using it but on the network just not connect necessarily connected and probably about another 13 12 to 13 percent will have uh fixed wireless um so that leaves that probably leaves one or two percent at the end who may have to use something like satellite if they're going to have anything at all and all of those technologies have improved enormously in the last 10 years but there's definitely a bit of a gap between satisfaction with people in the rural areas who can't get you can't get unlimited downloads who can't watch netflix at peak times um the the um um jason from um farm farm site was telling me this morning that what they've been encouraging their people to do is to um pre-download um content during they had during the uh off-peak periods at night so that if you want to download a TV series on Netflix, do it at night. And, uh, download it to your. Um, you can download it to uh, a, you know to the to the app on a smartphone. Yeah. yeah. You can't do that on on a TV on a on a TV no. probably Apple TV and so on. I, you know, I don't think that. Well, actually, Apple TV. I've I've not looked for that option. There is a fair chunk of storage in the Apple might, yeah, TV, but I'm, doing I'm it, but not not sure that that's there. But certainly, you can you know, take it down onto an Android or or a, yeah. or an iOS device, and then uh, you know push it up to your your TV or or through a that's through right. a box. Yeah. Well, well, um, yeah, it's been it's been a relatively good um, good story with. I mean. Basically, the the whole New Zealand broadband story is a is a big picture thing. It's been very good, and um, you know I still hear regularly from Australian friends who um, who just look at us with envy at how good it is. I think it's it's been something of a nightmare. People have just coped with it when they've been under lockdown uh, in Australia and yeah. and and other places around the world where their connectivity's not so good. Obviously, there's still more work to be there's still more work to be done, and uh, that that will that will continue. But I think the other thing I saw in the in the report is there 
yeah, seemed to be sort of slightly uh, uh, ahead when I saw that somewhere. Uh, yeah, slight, slightly, slightly ahead of you know of of target. Yeah, so a couple of months ahead. The, yeah. yeah. So they're 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 doing uh, they're doing well, and and I mean it's a whole you know well, the mix of uh, providers that faster that, plans as well. People have been. Um, you know, you you can. I think you can still buy a thirty megabit per second fiber plan. With some companies, but no one is anymore. I mean, pretty much a hundred is the standard, and the number of people that are getting gigabit plans is is going up very fast. That's the fastest growing um, segment. So um, you know, again, that's that's really quite something. Mm-hmm. Uh, very very encouraging, and look. Long may we continue uh, to you know, improve where there are shortcomings in uh, in you know, our technology infrastructure in New Zealand. But the, this this is one area where you know, the the value of it you know, has really been shown during uh, you know during this this period of of COVID nineteen. And you know it's just just so pleasing uh, you know, how good it was for uh, for. Yeah, such a good chunk of the population. Yeah, my my um, my guess on this is that once we get to the the end of the um, RBI two and UFB two, which is in the end of uh, twenty twenty two, once we get to that point, I think there will still be places that will get filled in. After that, it's just that the pace of filling in new areas will slow. Um, but I I would say probably five to six years from then. Most of the country is going to have really fast broadband, and and the great thing when we take that longer term view with fibre is that that can keep getting faster and yeah. faster and faster, right? So if we decide we you know you need to get a hundred gigabit to to someone's house because that's what's required, or a, a business needs uh, you know yeah. whatever, whatever that that number may be, and I, you know I, I don't know. I mean it's well, it's well, it's the, you know the, we we can look back and we can see yeah you know, as I've mentioned before I think that. Yeah, you know, the, uh, the our connectivity to the internet today is about a million times as fast as what it was when I, f- I finished high school. Yeah. So we are going to come up with ways in which we will use more more the, uh, more bandwidth. The I'm record sure. at the moment across fibre is four point two terabits per second. Right, that's the fastest, and that that's probably going to be commercially available in about five years. Well, I can't think of an app that uses a whole gigabit. But four point two terabits. Well, I guess we have to have that very fast connectivity to link, you know, a country to another country, yeah, yeah. and you know th- those sorts of things. So the the better they get with that, um, the the less sort of rebuilding we have to do of, of connections between one country and another, and yeah. you know they can update bits and pieces and without having good to for rip it all like out. A data center, or if you've got a telescope or a large hadron collider or something, you know, ideal. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, oh, the other the other um, thing, and there's probably a whole lot of discussion we could have into this. R- Rob O'Neill covered it in uh, Reseller News. Was uh, Vodafone partnering with uh, CoreView? Now, this is a, a US company who have a, a software uh, product that you know, cloud based that allows organisations to manage, generate alerts, look for security issues with Microsoft products, 365, 
and other software as a service subscriptions that they that they have. And to me, this is a this is a reflection of the new Vodafone New Zealand, which is which wow. is going going through you know a, a, a transition. Yeah, my is it ever? I mean, and the um, the person who's running this part of the business is Lindsay Swart, who um, Jason Paris recruited Lindsay. Lindsay used to run. Azure for Microsoft in the US, so she knows this space. Um, the thing about the thing about Vodafone's always had, or for a long time now, it's had an enterprise business, um, but it tends to be quietly in the background a lot of the time. You don't tend to hear too much. N- from not as as visible as what what Spark do, for instance, where it's so not, so clear. Yeah. That that selling you know technology services and not yeah. just telecommunication services, uh, yeah, is a huge part of of their business. Well, but you see, what's happened with Vodafone is Vodafone got in early with five G, and whatever people tell you on you know the media and so on, five G is really an enterprise play, and Vodafone is is actually pushing into that enterprise space in all kinds of ways. Um, I, I think it's it's actually it's actually a, although this particular deal isn't likely to be huge in terms of its impact. Agree. It is huge in terms of what it tells you what is going on with Vodafone, and Vodafone is becoming what the Americans call a soup to nuts technology company here in New Zealand. Not a term you hear in New Zealand very no. often. I don't think we know what it means. Well, it means to do everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, look, core view. I don't know too much about them, but there is something smart in that my understanding is it's it's an exclusive relationship. Yeah. So th- this is a company that's on the rise yep. and becomes relevant to a lot of businesses. Suddenly, if you want to use you know, if you want to well, use their particular offering, uh, then yeah, you have to go to, to Vodafone um, for, of course, there, there are competitors in the space, uh, but I, I'm sure it's something that will play out well for both both parties. Yeah, and you'll be buying other stuff from Vodafone as well, I'm sure of it. The thing, one of the things that Coreview does is it'll, it'll audit your licenses, your Microsoft licenses, and it'll say you've got far too many of this license, but actually your people need some of that license. And, and what it does, it optimizes your spending. And um, the boast, whether it's you know, you know how tech companies like to boast. There, a bit. there, there was a boast which I certainly didn't didn't buy buy into around. I think that you know they quoted some figures of yeah. you know people buy you know X amount of you know whatever licenses at work at, and they're basically saying you're only using half of yeah. kind of what you've got when you break it down. And I mean, let's just. Choose an example. An organisation has Microsoft 365 subscriptions. Um, yes, not everybody needs everything, but also you tend to buy it in packages. But look, if it can come along and save you 10 percent of your yeah. uh, subscription, it doesn't have to be a big percentage to actually pay for no, exactly. a, a, a tool like that, right? Exactly. So. And 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 that's it's it's just smart business. It's smart business from Vodafone. And um, um, you know when it comes, I. I I, I was at a Vodafone presentation towards the end of last year about the 5G and the transition, and I was I was actually impressed at how much that company understood enterprise needs, um, perhaps better than it had done in the past. 
Um, I, I think that's not fair, actually. I think it was actually good at that in the past. It just didn't tell us. <laughs> but now they're telling us, you know, so good. Oh, well, it, uh, it, it keeps the keeps the competition in, in the market locally. And I am uh, I'm very yeah, curious to see what these next couple of years will, will hold in this transformation that, uh, that you know, Vodafone have been going uh, going through. I think they're going to hold Spark's feet to the fire. And, th- and we were talking about competition earlier, but I think there's a whole – that's going to rack, rack up to a whole new level of competition. I mean, the thing about Jason Paris, he comes from Spark, so he knows where the bodies are buried. You know, he knows – the bodies of well theories. he knows the weak spots <laughs> you know he knows he, he he knows how to compete with spark yeah. and he's doing it i mean that's that's his game and it's mm. it's mm. good for spark it's good for vodafone it's good for the customers well we'll be hearing we have uh spark coming on the show in in the next few weeks so it's going to be you know great to hear a little bit from them about uh you know where they're going and 5g and uh, IOT, those those sort of uh, areas. So we'll we'll get a bit more insight from uh, from their side. Um, and look, it's it's a real privilege for us as New Zealand Tech Podcast to have you know such strong support from you know from the big players in the industry, having uh, Spark and, and Vodafone, who are you know very much uh, technology companies as well as telecommunications companies, um, you know, standing behind the show. And we will continue to bag them where it's uh, where it's where it's appropriate. We'll always share our, our genuine thoughts and, and opinions um, but yeah it's uh, it's exciting to see you know change and, and to see things sort of you know stirred up and and that's really how business has to be doesn't it and and, yeah. and the world that we're in you know tech, technology ha- has really helped speed up business not that business uh, ha- you know hasn't always you know moved at a pace but it, uh, it it makes things move even faster um, and those that don't move uh, fast enough and and get it right end up uh, Falling, falling by the wayside. Well, I think that is uh, that's us for this week. There was maybe one more topic which uh, we might uh, we might squeeze in next week uh, if appropriate. But I think we've uh, we've covered a lot of a lot of bases there, Bill. So mm-hmm. thank you very much for uh, for joining the show. Oh, you're welcome, Paul. And we'll look forward to catching up again soon. Now, just as a reminder for people in terms of catching up with uh, your content you you write for you know a a whole range of media but you've also got your uh, blog which is a you know a great a great place for uh, for content yeah billbennett.co.nz and i've been putting more up there recently because generally speaking there's a correlation between how much time i got to write on the blog and how much time i got to work with everyone else there's been a little bit of time on my hands over the last six weeks but it's that's changing again now of course Good, good. Yeah. Well, I hope it's uh, it ramps up fully, but not so much that it destroys you, Bill. Because no. I know sometimes you get incredibly busy, and then we miss out having you on the show as well. Um, yeah. And in fact, I must say that one of the um, things that I would thank our our um, partners for with the show is that we we as much as we can. It probably hasn't been as quite as uh, as often as I'd like. We're we're starting to have our uh, tech journalists on the show a little bit more regularly because we're able to afford to you know reward you in a very small way but it's it's uh, you know, hopefully that twists your arm a little bit more often to uh, to make it onto the show so th- uh, yeah 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 at, at, le- at least we're we're, uh, we're we're you know d- doing our our part to a yeah. to a degree and not just uh, stealing some of your time without 
without um, you know um, saying thank you. So you know, thank you. And I, look, you've you've been a supporter of the New Zealand Tech Podcast and on the show for I couldn't count how many years, Bill. And um, five, and we've six, very much appreciated. Yeah. Probably seven or eight. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, so thank you. It's uh, it it is you know really appreciated, and and it certainly is my uh, you know goal that that we um, you know continue to have you on the show and um look it's it's uh, to a degree a, you know a, a a pity there isn't as um you know as much of a um community of of technology journalists in New Zealand as there as there once was the you know the playing field has uh, has changed but you know, yeah when you're able to give your time and, and come on the show I think you always bring you know, some some incredible insights so well, different insights, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for that. And hey, thanks everybody for listening in. We'll be back again uh, next week. And yeah, we've got some great uh, other great guests lined up over the weeks ahead. And we're closing in on uh, on episode uh, 500, which should hit in, uh, in less than, well, around two months' time. So uh, yeah. um, we, we, we need to have a little bit of a, a celebration <laughs> show for that. And, uh, yeah, thanks, everyone. Cheers. Catch you soon. And, again, thanks to uh, to our show, show partners too. All right, cheers. The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.